Good morning, Evangel. Good morning to those of you here in the building. Good morning to those of you online. It is so good to see you in three dimensions. And here's the best news of all. I do not have to be the only person singing this morning. With your masks on, you are expected to sing. I am expecting you to sing. Would you stand and join us this morning as we praise together?
to see you here this morning. Just take a moment. I know you can't leave your seat, can't touch anybody, but just turn, say hi, smile. Okay, well, smile with your eyes, wave your hands, say hello, and uh, then you can be seated this morning. I want to welcome all of you to the service today, and I know for some of you, maybe it's your first time back in a while, and so we're, we're glad that you're here and uh, to join with some of you who are here each and every week and just to continue to, uh, to build our way back to, to meeting together. It is, as Carlene said, great to be able to see each other uh, live and in person uh, here today as well. So I want to welcome those who are watching today on our live stream as well and uh, participating uh, from home uh, as well as uh, those of you who are here this morning. Just want to remind you of a couple of things. Uh, just to just to clarify, uh, so this week we we heard an announcement that as of Friday of this week we're going into step three, and uh, even though sometimes these steps are a little bit elusive in trying to figure out exactly what that means for us in consulting with the Department of Health, so far what we know is that the only change for churches will be actually just the numbers of people that will be able to attend. So the number, it seems like, will be significantly increasing, but a lot of the other uh, restrictions that we have in pl place like masks and, and social physical distancing and all that, none of that is changing it, at this point, but we will, as of next week, have uh, more uh, availability for more people to come. So that will be starting for next Sunday. So just to, just to let you know that. Uh, if you haven't registered your children yet for the upcoming Kids Fun Day, the second of three this summer is going to be on July 28th. And if you go to our website, right on the front page, you'll see a little, uh, a little 
area there. You just click it and you can register uh, your kids and make sure you do that because there are, all, are only 30 spaces that are available there. Also just want to, uh, at the end of the service today, we will be, in our prayer time, we will be praying for uh, the pastors that we have been uh, have worked with and that we pray for and support um, in in Cuba and that particular area has now uh, seen a significant um, uh, a significant rise in serious COVID cases. There hasn't been a lot of tourism, as you know. Cuba is very reliant on on tourism. There were some tourists that came in from from Europe and as a result, uh, the the Delta variant has gone like wildfire through that area and specifically targeting those pastors that we have worked with for a very long time. And there is one pastoral family right now who is in dire situations. And uh, the wife specifically at four o'clock this morning suffered uh, respiratory arrest and there's no oxygen. They don't even have a room for her. There's no medication. It's, it's just, it's a terrible situation. And they, the whole family is sick, but she is the sickest of the four at this point. And uh, so just, um, we're, we're going to be keeping them in prayer as we, as we move along. So just want to share that uh, with you this morning. Kids, JK to grade five, if you could go around the back and up and your leaders will meet you and uh, you guys are going to head out at this time. I'm going to hand it back to Carlene. And last week I took the opportunity to thank Tyler for his work during the, uh, during the pandemic of us doing all those videos. I want to thank you guys as well for recording from your home and uh, helping us put that together. And I just wanted to say a public thank you to all the sacrifice and work that you guys have, have done in the last year and a half. We really, really, really appreciate it. So, all right, God bless you. But it was sure nice to hear you sing this morning. <laughs> it really was. We are going to sing some songs this morning that I admit there are times I struggle with. And there's songs that say, I'm here do whatever you want to. And I struggle with that because in, in our society, we put up all kinds of protections and blockades. We don't want somebody to do whatever they want to. Our trust factor is not high enough. And yet singing songs like this this morning, I challenge you, if it's a difficult thing to sing, God, do whatever you want to. That is the ultimate statement of trust. It's saying, I know that your ways are good, even if I don't understand them. I know that your correction is good, even if it doesn't feel good. I know that repentance is something that brings life, not shame and not embarrassment. But it's a hard thing for our humanity to say, I trust you enough that I have no holds barred. I have no barriers up. I had to wrestle with that. And if you are in that place this morning, if you have to wrestle with a sense of trust, is God truly good enough for me to say, do whatever you want to, do whatever you need to? I assure you, he is. His love is beyond anything we could possibly conceive. His grace is bigger than your shame and your sin ever will be. He is good. He is worthy of trust. And as we sing these songs this morning, 
May you find that place where you feel safe to say to God, to the Holy Spirit, here it is, I'm in a place of surrender, and it's my statement of trust. I'm going to invite you to stand. Some of these songs might seem a little new if you haven't been tracking with some of the online videos. So just sit and soak them in and join in song.
Scripture today is found in 1 John chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 11 to 18. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates his brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. You may be seated. I want to say thanks again, Carlene and the team for leading us this morning. And also, I just want to say too how much I appreciate our tech team and our live stream team. Um, and uh, when you just come in here early in the morning and you see how much work they're doing to get it right and uh, to overcome challenges and obstacles, it's incredible. So thank you. 
uh, to all of you for, for what you do. Go back. Okay, take that back. You're terrible at your job. I'm just kidding. Within all of us, there is a desire to love and be loved. Most of us have experienced loving someone and also being loved by someone. Now, even though we've experienced love, love is difficult to explain. And so if we were asked the question, what is love? What is love? Most of us would likely struggle to adequately explain it, to adequately explain love to someone else. Now, we have a video today of children attempting to answer this very question, what is love? Can you please play that for us? Love. I have no idea. What is love? Um, love is when you love somebody, and it's when you love somebody, and it's really when you love somebody. What about Tinder? Do you think that's a good way to meet people? Tinder, maybe. If it's chicken, we probably they would probably like it. Chicken Tinder. Yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah, it's fun to have on a date. Yep. Do you have a girlfriend? Yes. Who is she? Isabella. What do you What do you like about her? Um, her hair. She She has beautiful toys. How did you know you were in love with her? Um, when I met her in when I met her in kindergarten, she was just so beautiful, and I she had long hair. She was just so beautiful. I'm not really into that stuff anymore. Like what stuff? Like marrying stuff anymore. I feel like I want to be single this now. And what about like for the rest of your life or just now? Just at the moment. I'm not sure about maybe when I get older. You just want to focus on yourself and your career. Yeah. I love that last one. It's kind of taking a break right now, right? It's funny. Love is difficult to explain. There's no question. But love is imperative to not only experience, but also imperative to practice. Now, last week, we talked about the overwhelming and indescribable love of God, and as our scripture says, which is lavished out on us through Jesus Christ, which makes us children of God. And so we focused on that aspect of love, God's love for us. Today, as we look at this scripture that we've read this morning, which follows that, is we're going to be talking about uh, and be reminded that God's unconditional love for us requires us to love one another unconditionally. And so it's much easier sometimes for us to receive love than it is for us to give love. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Our scripture today answers the question, what is love, and provides, I believe, a challenge for all of us as God's children to love one another. The first thing that we're going to see in our scripture today is that anger causes division. Anger causes division. Now, at the beginning of this series, we said that 1 John was written to a community of believers whose unity was being threatened because of the rise of differing theological opinions 
and that the writer was attempting to get this community, his community, to focus on Jesus rather than focusing on the opinions that were tearing them apart and dividing them. The writer looks to the Old Testament here at this point in the writing to provide an example, a case study, if you will, of a family divided and the inevitable result of the division that had taken place. And so the writer references the story of Cain and Abel, a story that is found early in the book of Genesis. And even though they were brothers, they were biological brothers, they took two very different paths. Abel pursued God, and consequently, we're told his life was a reflection of righteousness, which means right living. So he, he followed God. He was living right. Cain pursued evil. And even though he went through the motions of offering up sacrifices to God, both he and God knew that his heart was not right. He was not living right. So you had one brother who was living right and one brother who was not living right, and the result was a divided family. Now, God's approval of Abel became troubling for Cain. Rather than it challenging him, rather than him seeing, you know, that Abel was pleasing God and that being a challenge to step up and get his life together and make some changes that needed to happen, rather than doing that, he started spiraling even more in the wrong direction, starting to become more jealous. Resentment started to rise. Anger towards his brother just started to build more and more and more to the point that Cain did not love Abel. In fact, he hated him. He hated his brother to the point where he subsequently killed him out of anger, out of jealousy, out of resentment, of hatred. The author used this example, which may seem like an extreme one, of Cain and Abel because he saw a parallel between this Old Testament account and what was happening right inside his own church community. He could see the connection. He could see the parallels. The church community was being torn apart, and the result is that two groups are emerging. They're going in two different directions. There are those within his group who remain faithful to the original teachings of Jesus and to the teachings of the apostles. And so like Abel, they lived right. But there were those within this same church family, the same church community, who were trying to influence people in a way of thinking that ultimately opposed the teachings of Jesus and the apostles that they had first heard when they came to faith. And so, like Cain, they were not living right. And so the author is seeing this parallel. And the writer is, is calling on this rebel group to return, to go back to the message of love that they responded to when they first came to faith. Back in the day when they first heard the gospel message and became followers of Jesus, he wants them to go back to that message because their differing opinions at this point has led them to resentment and anger, hatred for one another instead of loving one another. 
Now, the author made a very strong statement here. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. <laughs> that, that's, a strong, that's a strong sentence. I mean, really, you just sit back and go, wow, like, dude, you might need to filter that a little bit, like dial that back a little bit. But, you know, how in the world did he get from anger to murder? I mean, isn't that like a significant shift? It seems a little extreme to go from there to here in a, in a single moment. However, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus also made the connection between anger and murder. So this is not new. This is, the author is not doing something off of his own mind. He's actually pulling from the teachings of Jesus. That, you know, and Jesus taught those who were listening that day, he taught them that, that both anger and murder are actually a part of the same family. They're a part of the same family. That murder, which is the extreme acting out of anger, is actually rooted in anger. They are connected to each other. They're not two separate things, that they're, they're related. And so what Jesus was saying in Matthew 5 was, you know, I need you to hear that, that sometimes you focus on murder and you think, well, that's extreme and that's serious, but anger, it's not really that big a deal. And Jesus is saying, no, you need to know that, that anger is a sin too. Anger is a sin. Murder may seem like a greater sin, but it doesn't change the fact that anger is a sin. It is, it is wrong and it is destructive. And so Jesus was teaching that anger destroys relationships. Anger disrespects God's creation. Anger takes honor away from God. Anger leads to very inappropriate and extreme behavior. And so the resentment, the jealousy, the anger of the group that is a part of this church community that had drifted away from the teachings of Jesus and the apostles about Jesus, because of their anger, because of their behavior, they have destroyed unity in their church community. They have destroyed it. They have robbed the love away from this family, and they have created a sinful division in the church community. Tough place to be. Now, I wish I could tell you today that this type of division and behavior only existed in the early church and that as we moved along, we figured it out and we've all lived happily ever after and this kind of behavior has not shown up since the first century church. I wish I could tell you that today. But you know and I know that sadly, I can't tell you that as much as I would like to. I'm sure that many of you, like me, have witnessed inappropriate behavior within a community of faith that caused division, that created hurt, that pushed a community to become distracted from its mission and absorbed in these issues. Personally, I've had to intervene in environments where there has been division between one member and another or between a member and, and leadership so that because things had to be resolved, that healing needed to take place in order to move forward. But the truth is, often much damage is done. People leave, and the hurt they experience stays with them a very long time. Let me tell you something I have observed in being 
seeing people who've been in hurtful situations who leave those situations. Oftentimes, when you leave a situation, rather than working through it and resolving the issue and restoring the relationship, if you just withdraw and leave, people who do that usually get stuck right where they are the moment they left for a very long time. I've been sitting in a coffee shop and I've seen someone that I hadn't seen in 10 years or 15 years and they come over to say hi and the first conversation is that moment in time when they were hurt within a church community and they left and they're still there all these years later because they didn't work it through. They didn't resolve it. They just withdrew and they left and the hurt has stayed with them. It's hard to believe that these sort of things could ever happen in a church community, but it does more often than we'd like to admit. It just, it just does. A difference of opinion, an issue can escalate quickly to the point where love is absent and anger and jealousy and resentment and control and even hatred begins to escalate. And I want you to know today that no kingdom good ever, 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 ever comes out of that. Nothing good for the kingdom ever comes out of that unless it's resolved and then significant kingdom good comes out. Such behavior is divisive. It's destructive. It's sinful. It's evil. And so it's important for us to be reminded today because it can happen anywhere. It really can. To protect our church community at all costs, from ever going there because anger causes division. Secondly, love is proof of life. Throughout the Gospel of John and the epistles of John, we see life, these words of life and death being used metaphorically for one's spiritual condition. Okay, so when death is spoken of, it's not talking about physical death, but it's a reference to spiritual death. And spiritual death results from rejecting Jesus as the one who offers us eternal life through his death on the cross. So if, if there is one in, in this community that has rejected the life that comes through Jesus, the eternal life because of what he's done on the cross, they would be considered spiritually dead. Those who reject Jesus in the writings of John, uh, you know, not only are they spiritual dead, but they're ineligible for eternity. And so when life is spoken of, it's referencing spiritual life, eternal life, that comes by accepting Jesus and the provision of grace accomplished on the cross. And it's important, and you've heard me say this many times, that oftentimes when I was growing up, most of the environments I was in, eternal life was something that happened down the road. That in that moment when this life ended or when Jesus returns, eternal life kicked in at that moment and you lived for that moment, eternal life. But when you, when you study scripture closely, you understand that what John is, is writing in the gospel of John and what the writer here is writing in 1 John is that eternal life begins at the moment that one accepts Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Eternal life begins then and continues not just through the rest of our physical lives here, but then 
into eternity. That's a better biblical understanding of it. Now, the problem in this particular church community was people who claimed to be followers of Jesus. They claimed to be experiencing, quote, spiritual life in Jesus, but they were living in a way that was contrary to what they said they believed. Now, this keeps coming up every week, right? That what you believe and what, how you behave, they go hand in hand. And, and, and this is why the writer keeps bringing this up in every chapter, because this is his problem. This is what he's dealing with here. And so he's reminding them of this again. And so the author is confronting this issue by reminding them that there actually is a criteria, if you will. There is an evidence of whether one is indeed, you know, experiencing spiritual life or spiritual death. Now, this evidence is how they loved each other. When I was growing up, it was different things, right? Someone could make a, a commitment to Christ, but they had a hard time kicking the smoking habit, so they're around the corner of the house, and they're having a draw, and you see them, they go, oh, they've walked away from Jesus. They're smoking, right? That was the evidence that you've walked away from Jesus, or someone slipped and said a bad word. Oh, they're no longer, you know. No, no, that's not what John's saying here. You know, what, what he's saying here, the evidence of spiritual life is, is, is not these things. The evidence of spiritual life is, you know, is, is how you love each other. That's the evidence. He says this directly. We know, we know the evidence. We know that we have passed from death to life. How? Because we love each other. Because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Pretty clear. Now, the author, again, wasn't just creating his own standard here. He wasn't just picking things out of the sky. He was actually reminding them of a standard that was set by Jesus in John chapter 13, 35. And this is, this is what Jesus said there. He's talking to his disciples, and he said, your love for one another will prove, will be the evidence to the world that you're my disciples. Not how you dress, not where you go on Sunday morning, no, how you love each other. That's going to be the evidence to the world that you belong to me. And so the author continued the progression of his argument, and he circles back once again to Cain and Abel. I mean, you know, man, you're making me feel uncomfortable. Like, we got through the Cain and Abel thing. Like, let's just kind of leave that where it is. We got the point. Let's just kind of move on. Oh, no, he's going back there. And he says this. He says, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So again, those of you in this community that have anger, you're spiritually dead. And we know it because of the way you're treating one another. Anger, jealousy, resentment results in animosity towards fellow believers and in turn creates division, which in turn is evidence that there is actually no relationship with God and the persons involved are spiritually dead. Love is the evidence of eternal life. Now, it's not the means to eternal life. I mean, it was, Jesus, it was God's love for us that caused him to give his son, but it was the giving of his son and the sacrifice of his son and the shedding of the blood of his son that makes our eternal life possible. But love is the proof. It's the evidence that what Jesus did for us created life, eternal life in us. And thirdly, and everyone's favorite word, finally, 
Actions speak louder than words. At the beginning of this section, the author used a negative example of Cain to show how anger and hatred creates division and destroys community. In this section, the author used a positive example of Jesus to show how sacrificial love for one another creates unity and causes a community to thrive. The true test or the test of true love is tied to the willingness to sacrifice oneself for the benefit of another person. There's no greater example of this than the ultimate sacrifice demonstrated by Jesus with his death on the cross for all mankind. Jesus' death was costly, and the love that made the cross necessary was unconditional. And so in light of the demonstration of Jesus' sacrificial and unconditional love, he says, listen, he's the one we're looking to. He's our role model. And so he's saying, you too must model this same love to one another. You know what Jesus did for you. You've, you've heard about it. You've read about it. We've, we've, we've you know, some of you knew him. You, you were there when he walked on the earth because this is not that far into the early church. That's what you have to model. That's the example we're looking for. This is not just a suggestion of the author, but he's actually quoting a command of Jesus himself. In John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, Jesus said this, this is my suggestion. Oh, no, sorry. No, this is my commandment. There's a difference, right, in a suggestion and a commandment. This is my commandment. Love each other, how? In the same way I have loved you. In the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. The love of Jesus experienced in one's life creates a community of people who have experienced his love, but who also love each other the way he loves us. But love is more than words. I've heard people say a hundred times, I love my brothers and sisters. I love you in the Lord. And then behave in a way that is completely opposite to that. And that's what the author is addressing here. Love is more than words. Love is more than feelings. I wish a lot more married couples would figure that out. It's more than words and it's more than feelings. Love demands action. Love demands action. Love requires denying yourself. When most people complain about love, they're focusing on what they are not receiving, not on what they are not giving. And so love requires denying oneself for the benefit of another person. Love requires elevating the needs of another person above our own. I hope if I live to the point of a 70th anniversary, I'll have figured out 10% of that, Jen. That's my goal. 10% by year 70 of marriage. And by that time, we won't even know each other is, and it won't matter. But what is interesting here and I want to point this out, is the Greek word 
I mean, in the English, we see brothers and sisters, like plural. But actually, in the original Greek, there's only one word here, and it's a singular word. It's not a plural word. And you say, well, so what? Well, so what? Because when English translates it brothers and sisters, we assume that he's talking about the people in the church community. But actually, in the original Greek, the word used is for all humanity, not just confined to those in the church community. So does it include those in the church community? Yes, it does. But does it stop there? No, it doesn't. What the author is saying here is that it's not just in the church community. Their love for others was not to be limited to their church, but they were to love humanity as a whole. Wow, that's a, that's a big ask. That's a big ask. Again, the author provided test, if you will, proof, evidence of what real love should look like. So how do you love each other? And how do you love the community of Oakville? And how do you love whatever community you live in and where you work and where you socialize and the family you're a part of and the strangers? How do you love them? Well, he gives us the answer. If someone is in need... And a follower of Jesus has the material things. Now, let's unpack that for a minute again. Because we read that, we, we can very easily justify how, you know, how limited we are in our resources, right? We're, we're, we are good at that. You know why? I don't really, I'm not rich. I don't really have that much. But then we know that in comparison to most of the world, we are actually very affluent. But to understand the word material things here. The word material things here does not mean extravagant things. That's not what it means. It actually literally means this, the ordinary things of life. Shelter, food, clothing, medicine, basic, important, but the basics of life. And so what he's saying is, if someone is a follower of Jesus and you have the bare basics, just the, the things that are required to keep you alive. The things I used to say to my kids when they threatened getting a tattoo at age 15 or, or whatever. Or, you know, piercings in places where they don't belong. I don't know. I know there's a debate on that, where do they belong. But I would say to them, my responsibility to you as a parent is food, shelter, clothing. And it doesn't have to be expensive or comfortable. So you can do whatever you want, but just know, I just got to cover the basics, Right? And that would really scare them because they didn't want the basics. They wanted more than the basics. And the truth is, most of us have more than the basics. He says, if you have the basics but you don't show compassion, how? By feeling sad or sorry for people? No. By sharing what you have with the person in need, that is a sign. Ooh, this is tough. That is a sign that the love of God is not in them. It's not in us. And so what we're saying is, if you and I have the basics of life and we become aware that someone does not have the basics of life and we choose not to share the basics that we have with them, the author is saying, well, that's evidence that the love of God really isn't in you. Because if it was, you'd be looking at the example of Jesus and you would be loving sacrificially. You would be giving sacrificially for them. But he says, if someone is in need and a follower of Christ shares the ordinary things in life with them, that is evidence that the love of God is in them. Talking about love is not enough. Love is sacrificial action. 
and actions speak louder than words. So in conclusion, our scripture today reminds us that anger causes division. That love for one another is proof that we have eternal life. And actions speak louder than words. We don't just love with our words and our expressions. We love by taking tangible steps of caring for those who need care. Would you stand with us this morning? And our worship team is going to lead us. And in a few moments, we'll conclude our service in prayer. But this passage this morning is not a passage preached in reaction to a reality, but more of a reminder not to solve what is, but to encourage us to never go there, to not want to be a part of that, to be a different kind of person, a different kind of follower of Jesus, the type of follower of Jesus he wants us to be. And as we sing this song together this morning, I just encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to just speak to your life and help you to see how you might be able to use your life to show the love of God as he requires of us to do. Carly, would you lead us? Speak loud.
answer.